You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. For those of you who uh, might not know who that was, Sean said, that, Sean, that was Sean Garman, the founding pastor of Red Sea. And if, if you didn't recognize him, if you had been here, it's because he looks a lot tanner. Uh, that's what happens in Ventura, California, apparently. I just, you just get a lot tanner. If you feel a little awkward sitting in the round, uh, staring at other people, it's even more awkward to preach in the round, okay? Because inevitably my back's to somebody at all times. So I apologize to begin with if I'm making a really, point, uh, really good point and my back's to you, I'm not ignoring you, Okay. We are continuing. This is our 10th anniversary. Technically, last week was, but we're celebrating on this day our 10th anniversary as a church. And in a way, in Acts 12, we're we're continuing the story as we go through the book of Acts, how the church grew, how the church expanded, and how even though things changed, and we're going to talk more about it as Acts, we go through Acts, things keep changing, but even if they change, they remain the same. The gospel remains the same. It didn't change. Uh, the church uh, had to adjust to changes of culture and persecution and growth, and they had to do lots of things, but at the same time, the gospel remains the same. And we're going to look at that in, in Acts chapter 12. What I'm going to do briefly, though, is I'm just going to summarize and tell the stories of Acts chapter 12. We're not going to read it together. I'm just going to summarize it. We're going to look at a couple points, and then we have um, some things to do uh, with the deacons and stuff. In Acts chapter 12, um, the, the church in, in chapter 11 had gone into Antioch and had spread. And then there's a little brief, brief time that goes, the, the story, Luke, the author of Acts, goes back to, to Jerusalem. And he begins by telling events that happen in quick succession. First of all, we read in the beginning of this that Herod, the king at the time, put James to death. James is the apostle. The James, he's one of the 12 that was with Jesus. He's the brother of John, and in fact, he, the, uh, it says, Herod killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. That's it. Does that bother anybody else? Not, not just that he was killed with a sword, okay? But here's an apostle, one of the twelve, one of the original twelve, and he gets a couple words. That's it. Herod killed James, the son of John, and he's not even James by himself. He's James, the son of John. With a sword. That's all we know. We don't know when he's arrested. We don't know why. We don't know how long he's in prison. We don't even know how he was. Was he decapitated? Was he, we don't know the details. Luke doesn't give us anything about this apostle. An interesting aspect of this is James, the brother of John, is the first of the twelve to be martyred. Church tradition says that eleven of the twelve apostles are killed for the faith, are martyred for the faith. Do you know who church tradition says is the one apostle who is not martyred? John. So it's interesting that the first, one brother is the first martyr, the other brother is never martyred. Kind of an interesting aspect of the story. Herod finds out that killing James was really big and, and the Jews and the population at the time got really excited about that, so he arrests Peter. And he, and he puts Peter into prison. And we're told, and what's interesting about the story of Peter, James gets a couple words. He's killed with a sword. Peter gets a whole chapter. 
And, you know, I don't, I don't know what this is. But he go, and not only does he get a whole chapter, but there's very explanation of his rescue. If we look at through there, he says that Herod arrested him and put him in prison with four squads of soldiers. He even tells us how many soldiers. There's 16 soldiers guarding him during this time. And it says, an interesting, in verse 5, it's interesting, that is that when he's, he's kept in prison, implying that he's there for a while. It's not just overnight. He's there for a while. And it said, but earnest prayer for him was made by God, to God by the church. So Luke tells us that while he's in prison, the church is praying. And then he goes on and said that when the night before Herod is going to bring him out to execute him, an angel shows up in the prison. And, and it's one of those stories, if you read it, you, it, it's kind of interesting, but the details make it almost comical. At least, at least when I read it, I, I send a snicker at it with it. The angel shows up, he's locked, he's chained, and he's chained between two soldiers. He's in a dungeon, there's 16 of them, and he's, he's in, in the interior part of the, this thing, and all of a sudden a bright light appears, and an angel's there, and Peter is sleeping. So the angel has to wake him up. And it says, it says in there that he, he struck Peter on the side. I mean, you can, the angel's there, he's glowing. Peter, Peter, wake up. So he ends up kicking him or something. We don't know. what He, he struck him. He punched him on the side to wake him up. I mean, it's, that's how detailed it gets. And, and he even has to instruct Peter what to do. Peter, get up. So Peter gets up. Peter, put your sandals on. Put your sandals. Peter, put your coat on. Okay, put your coat on. Let's go. And so the angels walking Peter out of there. And, and, they, and we're even told in the details that the gates open by themselves. So that you can hear the, they walk to the main gates, and, and they just walk through. And the next thing you know, Peter finds himself in the middle of the street, and the angel is gone. And what's interesting, the phraseology there is, it says that Peter came to himself. It means he woke up. Peter, this was such a miraculous rescue that Peter didn't even realize he was being rescued. He thought it was a vision. He thought it was just seeing a dream. And the only time he realized that he actually is out of prison is when he's in the main street by himself. And he's like, I'm out. So Peter goes to where he knows people will be. He goes to a house where the church is gathered and they are praying. We're told in verse 12 that he realized, when he realized that he actually was out of prison, he goes to a house, Mary, the mother of John, uh, who became known as Mark. So John Mark, he appears later in Acts, so we'll see about him. But his mother apparently is very wealthy. She has a big house where the church can meet, and there are gates, so it's walled in, so it implies, and she has servants, so it implies that she's very wealthy, and the church is meeting there. Peter shows up, he starts knocking on the gate. He can't get in. And then a servant, interestingly, a servant, and she's named Rhoda. There's a lot of people in the Bible we read about, but she made it in with her name. We will eternally know her as Rhoda, who forgot to open the gate. Okay? She gets there. She hears and recognizes Peter's voice. And she gets so excited, she goes back, doesn't open the gate to let it in. He's still out on the street. She goes in and, and tells people, hey, Peter's out here. And, what, and what do they, what's their response? No. No, no. He's in prison. No. And stop bothering us. We're praying for him. Okay? And, and uh, so they're praying for him. And finally, she convinced So they go, they all go to the gate. And there's Peter. And he has to, they're, the word is amazed. They're like, wow, you're actually here. And they're excited. And he has to calm them down. He says, hey, hey. He explains what happened. Thus, we know the details. And he's 
and he told, Pi told Luke, because Luke knew him, knew him. And then he, he takes off. We don't know where he went. He goes into hiding. He, he reappears in Acts 15, but until then, we don't know if he left Jerusalem. We don't know what happened to Peter. He just disappears. But, um, uh, but there was no, no little stir. Herod then gets upset. They go to get Peter, and guess what they find? Nothing. Peter's not there. There's no explanation. Everything's locked. The chains are there. The guards are there. But there's no Peter. Herod is not happy. Herod ends up t- taken off, and he goes to Caesarea, and he's there, and there's a dispute with some of the people there. So he, in this, in this big day, Herod goes out, and he gives a speech, dresses up in his robes as a king, and gives a speech. And during the speech, the people there, because they want to placate him, because they don't want him killing everybody, they say, it's the voice of a god, not a man. Okay? I, I preach a lot, but I've never had people say that to me. Okay? It's a voice of a god, not a man. I, it just never happened. But to them, he did. And we read that God said, enough. And an angel comes and strikes Herod down, kills him. And um, it's interesting the way it's worded is that Ray, the way it's worded implies the way he died is he was eaten with worms. It says he was eaten with worms and then breathed his last. So what a way to go, right? I mean, he wasn't even quick. He, he died by eating with worms. Um, that's also interesting that, well... Anyways, we'll talk about that, so hopefully, if I remember. So I don't want to get ahead of myself. So those are the, those are the things that, that we went through, and, and, and he does it. But if we, read, if we read through this story, those are the stories that are there. It's a series of events, and I just want to highlight, why would he tell these stories? Why would he say, James is killed, Peter goes through this detailed rescue. Herod is killing people, but Herod is killed. Why these contrasts? Why are these contrasts between things? And I think, first of all, the one with Herod. Herod leads off chapter 12 as the one who is ruling as king, and he kills at will. He's arresting at will, and he's doing whatever he wants. But yet, a little later, uh, at the end of the chapter, he fails to give God glory. We're told in that passage, the reason the angel struck down Herod was that he failed to give God the glory. He took glory instead of giving it to him. This, is, this wasn't, let me tell you why he wasn't killed. The Bible doesn't say he was killed for vengeance for James. It's not payback for James. We would think that. If we were running a movie, it'd be, he, he got his own because he killed James. That's not why the Bible says he was killed. He was killed because he flipped his nose and, be, and claimed to be God. And God said, you want to be God? Here, have some worms. Have some bugs and see how you handle them. And he dies. And, and, and sometimes there's this tension as we as Christians, even today, there's these civil authorities, there's events that happen in the world, and we need to remember, just like here, that even kings and presidents and politicians and world events are still under God's control. And sometimes we don't understand what happened, they do. James is killed. We're not told why. It's a mystery. And yet at the same time, we do know that God struck down the king because he was not giving glory to him. So even the civil authorities have to bow to the lordship of God. But there's also another contrast here. The other contrast is the disciples, the apostles themselves. We have the death of James and the rescue of Peter. Now, do, do, we, do you think that the church was praying for Peter and he didn't pray for James? I mean, was, was, that, was that the issue here? Do you think, do you think maybe the, they didn't say they prayed for James? 
Maybe that's the problem. They didn't pray for him. He gets killed. They pray for Peter. He gets killed. You think maybe? Um, we're not told. But we are told that they, twice we're told they're praying for Peter. I, I think that's the case. I think they were praying for both. Um, it bothers us that they were praying for both. It bothers us that they pray for James and he dies. They pray for Peter and he's, he's miraculously rescued. And the reason I think that they prayed for James is what happened when they were praying for Peter and Peter shows up, what was their response? Disbelief. What are you doing here? You're going to die. We prayed for James and he died. We're praying for you. We expected you to die. But you're here. And, and sometimes when we pray in our lives, we, we pray maybe the same things. And in one hand, we say, wait, God, that's not my preferred outcome. That's not the way I want it to happen. That's not what I, we were praying for. Did God answer their prayers for James? Yeah, he did. Not the way they wanted it, but he answered their prayers. And he also answered their prayers for Peter. And sometimes when we pray, events happen. We don't like those events. We don't like the outcomes. That they don't seem to correspond with our prayers. But yet God is still involved. He's still doing his work. Does that make sense? And at the other times, we pray, and not only do we pray, it, the, the, the details of the answers go boom, 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 and it's a miraculous. I mean, that's why he gets so much detail in Peter's, the gates opening by themselves, waking him up, the lights. All those details are for us to understand that God was at hand. Peter didn't even have a hand. He didn't even know he's being rescued. So he can't take any credit for the escape. And yet, sometimes when we pray, we're, we're just amazed, like, wow, that's not what we expected, but God did it anyways, and he did it even exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or imagine. And that's what God does. It, the interesting part of this contrast is that we say Herod killed, Herod was killed. They pray for James, he dies. They pray for Peter, he escapes to live on. And, but, but there's one verse, verse 24, that that Luke wants to bring our attention to. It's just a short verse. And in verse 24, he says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. That's all he says. But, the, it's a contrast word. He's saying, I told you all these stories. Now let me summarize the outcome. But, all that happened, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Regardless of what happened with the apostles, regardless of what happened with Herod, the gospel increased and multiply. And he says that, and, and, and it's interesting that it, it, it can't be constrained by the civil authorities by persecution. Uh, it can't be limited by the understanding of the church. The gospel is still moving forward and still multiplying and still growing. He says the word of God increased. It's from itself. It's, it's not saying that the people increased the word of God. The, the people made the, God, the word of God multiply. The way it's worded there is saying the power of that growth and that multiplication comes from the gospel itself. Earlier in Acts chapter 4, the church prayed. They're being persecuted. Peter again was arrested and beaten and kicked out and said, don't, pray, don't preach Christ again. And, he, and we were told that the church, they, they, were, um, they prayed and asked God to help us speak your word with boldness. And, and after they prayed... Um, they said that the Holy Spirit came upon them and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So we know the word that increased and multiplied was the word of God, was the gospel message. In Colossians, 
Paul talks to the Colossians about this, and he says to them, he says that, um, um, all, he's talking about how they have come to an understanding of the gospel, and he says, of this you have heard the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you and is indeed the, in the whole world, is bearing fruit and increasing. So the gospel, Paul uses this agricultural metaphor to saying the gospel is bearing fruit and it's growing. They're, the church isn't given credit for that. The gospel is getting credit for that. And then Paul says to the Colossians, he says to them, um, as it has also does among you, as it also does among you. So it is bearing fruit and growing among you in Colossae since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. And, and what Paul's saying there is the gospel came to them. They heard it. They understood it. And they embraced, embraced it. And some power within them, that power of the Holy Spirit working on the word, that gospel was producing fruit. The church was changing. The community was changing. Some of the stuff that Sean shared on there wasn't because we're knocking it out of park as, as super apostles. It's because the gospel changes people and the gospel does things. And we as a church want to be emphasized that. We want to make that a big part of what we do. As you came in, you should have been given a handout called Red Sea Pathways. If you did not, then we, we, have, we should have some more for you. Uh, if you didn't get one, I'd encourage you to get one. I'm just going to take just a couple minutes to run through this with you. Josh introduced this last week. We, we, we introduced the concept of this. And we, what we're going to be doing over the next couple months is we're going to be unpacking this a little time. We decided not to overwhelm people with, uh, with here's a big thing and here's all the resources and it'll be too much too, too, too quickly. So we're just going to slowly work through it and make sure we explain the details. This is a diagram we use in calling it Pathways. Why we call it Pathways is that we want to have specific steps that move us in a direction. Our, our mission has been to draw to Christ, developing community, and deploying the culture. That's always been, for 10 years, Red Sea's mission. What we are trying to accomplish, what we are trying to do, what are we trying to achieve is what God has set out for the, any church, not just Red Sea, any church to do biblically. They are to get closer to God, draw to Christ. They are to love each other more as community, get closer together. And they are to strategically, intentionally reach out to the lost and share the gospel with them. So that's our mission. In this diagram, you'll see that in the center is the gospel. That's that verse 24 of Acts chapter 2, that the word of God will increase and multiply. The gospel is the center of what, all that we want to do and everything we want to do. We will always be coming back to that, not just in our messages, but in our training and over and over again, saying it ten different ways, but always coming back to who God is and what he has done and therefore who we are and what we are to do. That's the gospel message. It doesn't begin with what we do. It doesn't begin with, hey, we need to do these things so that we'll be good Christians, so that God will be accepting, accept us, so that, and then we can see what God will do to help us. That's the way the world looks at the gospel. We're looking at it from the other way around. First, who is God? And, and what has he done for us in Christ? He has both saved us and has established Christ as the Lord. He has already done that. It has nothing to do with it. All the things we contribute to that is sin and rebellion. But then because of that, we have, we are something. That's called identity. So the next, as you see in the center here, as you see in the center, um, we always begin with the gospel up there. And then on the outside, you see a, a black circle, and it has three words, servants, family, ambassadors. 
There's a number of words we could have used. We chose these, obviously, for intentional reasons. But we're saying we want to emphasize that as people who are in Christ, we have an identity. This is how we describe ourselves. In Acts chapter 4, when they prayed, the church was being persecuted, and they responded and said, God, uh, allow, they said, your servants to preach the gospel boldly. They even identified that early themselves. They were servants of God. That was their identity. And since we're serving you, God, you enable us to speak boldly. That's what they want to do. So our identities, uh, we're going to emphasize, is on the top is servants, then family, and then ambassadors. How do we draw to Christ? We do so as servants of Christ. We, and how do we, and the steps, the pathways are the steps through Scripture, through prayer, through worship. As we embrace those things and we do those things, we will learn more and more about the depth and awesomeness of Jesus Christ. Then the other identity is family. We are children of God because of what Christ has done. In that children, we take steps. How do we get closer together? How do we develop in community? We do that by, by um, uh, peacemaking and sharing and celebrating. And then, but we also have responsibility to get out into the culture, our neighbors, people at school, uh, the, the community in general. Sean talked about some of that. We've already done that. We continue to do that. But how do we do that? We do that through hospitality and serving and through evangelism. So uh, and the, if you turn it on the inside, there are brief, I'm not going to go through it. You can read it. There are brief explanations of each one. We want, I would ask that you go through and actually read it, um, that you take the time to think about it. If you've got questions, ask us. We are going to slowly work through this over the next couple of months to under each little piece so we understand how it all fits together. On the, on the very back, you have a list of scriptures. We didn't just, hey, let's come up with some cute little phrases and ideas. This comes from months. We started preparing this in March. Okay? So we've been working on this since then so that it's scripturally based and it's defined. What you're going to be finding, and then with this I'm going to wrap up, what you're going to be finding on the wall in the, in the, what do we call that again? The lounge. The lounge. The foyer. Whatever it is. Okay? The entrance. As you come in, on the right, you'll see that there's, this diagram has already started to be up there. There will also be uh, um, shelves, cubbies, thank you, shelves below them. The box is there. They're not assembled yet. It's a work in progress, okay? Okay. Um, and, and what's going to be in there, gradually, it's going to look, at first it's going to look very empty. But gradually, as we go through this, we're going to insert resources there for you. We're going to begin with the gospel, and then identities, and then scripture, and then prayer. and that. So we're going to be not only having articles available, we're also going to be selling books and providing books for you on different topics. The goal of it, long-term goal of this is that all of us, when we say, how do I be a disciple of Christ? How do I grow with Christ? This is how I do this. What do we do as a church to grow with Christ? This is what we do. And we work our way. This is a cycle. We learn the gospel. We learn our identities, and then we walk, take those steps. And our goal is that we'd walk around that and provide opportunities for us to grow and, and learn from that. So that resource will be there. It'll grow. We'll be talking about it more in the future. Um, in Acts chapter 12, the main, the main, the main thrust there is verse 24, that, that the, the word of God uh, grew and uh, increased and multiplied. That same phraseology occurred earlier in Acts, in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, anybody remember what happened at the beginning of Acts chapter 6? This is a pop quiz. What's the big event in chapter 6? Uh, well, yeah, that's, yeah, I should start calling on some people, huh? No. 
In Acts chapter 6, the church is growing like crazy and it's out of control. So the apostles say, we can't handle all this. We need help leading this church. So they ask for what we now know as deacons to be identified and commissioned. So in the first five, six verses of Acts chapter 6, they identify and pray for and establish the deacons who help them lead the church. In verse 7, Luke says this, In light of the deacons being installed, being commissioned as leaders of the church, this is Luke's conclusion to that event. He says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many priests became obedient to the faith. So as the church adjusted so that certain leaders focused on prayer and the ministry of the word, other leaders met and focused on uh, uh, fulfilling the, the physical and other needs of the church, the church, the word of God spread even more. The church even grew even more. So with that, I'm going to ask Josh to come up and lead us in the next part. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.